Hello and welcome to the National Secular Society podcast. I'm Alistair Lichton, Head of Education at the NSS. This is part five in a series of interviews where I speak to activists and experts about religious freedom and what it means to them. This is leading up to our major conference in May, Secularism 2019. What does religious freedom truly mean? While some religious lobbyists use the term to demand privileges, this conference will serve to highlight that true religious freedom means freedom of belief for people of all religions and none. If this conversation has whet your appetite, then I hope you'll join us at the Tower Hotel in London on the 18th of May. Tickets are just £50 or half price for our members, and students can even get a ticket for just £10. Today I spoke to Dr Anthony Lempert, Chair of the Secular Medical Forum, about the importance and misuse of religious freedom in healthcare. I hope you find the conversation interesting, and I'll be back at the end with a few thoughts. Dr Lempert, welcome to the NSS podcast. Thank you, hello. Do you want to start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in this intersection between secularism and healthcare? Sure. Um, well, my background is as GP, um, and I work in a, a rural practice on the Welsh-English border. Um, and I've, I've I've long been interested in the um, in, in the rights of people to express their own beliefs. But certainly, I was I was one of the initial members when the Secular Medical Forum was started in two thousand and six, um, which was actually started by um, Dr. Michael Irwin, who, who initially ran it. Now. I got much more involved when I, I started to assist him, and then I took over from him in, in, in the early 2008. Um, and to be fair, a lot of my understanding of the areas has evolved over the last sort of 10, 11 years, uh, working with other organisations that share similar views in certain of these areas, and also developing an understanding and, and coming up against some of the uh, the barriers and, and starting to appreciate the depth of some of the problems as, as you know, as religious i suppose it religious interference starts to affect other people's delivery of their own personal health care or the other way around the importance of allowing individual people to have health care that, that that's important to them and their own personal beliefs what does religious freedom mean to you in a professional or personal capacity well i suppose in a personal context religious freedom means simply being allowed to believe what one wants and to put those beliefs into practice without unnecessary restrictions, um, whilst also being mindful that any one person's personal beliefs will necessarily differ from the beliefs of other people. Um, And it's also really important to be able to change one's beliefs and to recognise by doing so that um, all religious belief is, is a choice of the individual. And for me, this is quite a basic point that sometimes goes missing in discussions where people assume that people are, they're intrinsically entwined with their religion and there's simply nothing they can do about it. Um, and, And if you have that viewpoint, those who do wish to change their opinions or beliefs or thoughts or even one element of them can, can come up against real barriers within the community they've left um, by people who don't understand that uh, religion, like many other personal positions, is, is a personal choice, not an imposition. And obviously, as we know, that can lead to, well, from simple condemnation to really quite significant harm uh, being done to people who, who choose to change their, their beliefs. So, so in reality, it's important to be respectful, allow everyone the space and freedom to believe and practice what they want. But this freedom isn't passive either, and, and it needs to be worked for, because it, in some closed communities, for example, 
um, the dialogue is closed down such that people don't have the choice of, of, of changing their belief. They, they can't even conceive of a world without those particular beliefs or those practices. Equally, in a wider context, religious freedom sits within, it sits within the spectrum of freedom of thought, conscience and belief, which is a fundamental right guaranteed to every single person on the planet by the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And in this way, it's no different from any other form of freedom. Uh, and must similarly be constrained by you know, restraints necessary to protect harm to others. And I think it's really important to put religious belief in the same context as other beliefs, because it it's often it's often assumes or or assumes for itself a special place, a reserved place, which is different from other beliefs. In, in a professional context, freedom of religion means very much just empowering patients to get the care, the medical care that's important to them. And that, that works both ways. It means ensuring that patients get the care that's, uh, that, that they choose within a reasonable context of what's legal and, and reasonable and available uh, without other people imposing or restricting on that, making unnecessary restrictions on them. And equally, it, it means allowing religious people to access care that's in accordance with their own personal beliefs and not having people who disagree trying to stop them from doing something that we might, you know, that, that some of us might regard as, as wrong or goes against the medical grain. And that has an interesting interaction, I guess, when we, when we talk about the healthcare. Uh, of children because the freedom religious freedom of an adult to make healthcare decisions which their their doctor or their community may disagree with is different to the freedom to make those decisions for another it certainly is now ordinarily in, in healthcare um, obviously there are certain people and children are one of the most prominent among them who don't have the capacity um, ordinarily, obviously some children develop the capacity during their childhood, but don't have the capacity to make a decision for themselves. So there has to be somebody, and usually that's the parent or guardian, who makes that decision for them. Now, it's really important, again, to remember that that decision is not just plucked out of the air. That's a decision based upon what, what's being medically recommended. So parents don't have a carte blanche to sort of say, I want this, I want, I want my child to be have their face scarified, I want to for example, chop off their little finger. There's no automatic right of parents to determine everything about their children, because in those circumstances, doctors also have a role in terms of safeguarding children. So, so there's a balance going on here between what parents want for their children um, and what's, what's safe and reasonable and what's a safe and reasonable decision for them to make for their child. Um, and obviously, there are certain contexts in this where this, this really does come up, you know, where there's a, a, a very broad, a very large conflict between uh, normal medical care and what parents want. And I suppose two of the biggest ones, one of them is, is parents who have a Jehovah's Witness belief, who, who wish to, um, um, to ensure that their own children don't have a blood transfusion um, because they don't believe in a blood transfusion, even to the point where the child's life might be at risk. Um, and one of the other main areas in, in common practice now is where parents um, want to um, you know, perform a ritual uh, cutting of the child's genitals uh, for a religious belief as well. If I may expand a little bit, um, on the Jehovah's Witness side of things, many of these cases have actually gone to court uh, because clearly it's quite a, it's quite a, a difficult area where, where children's lives are potentially at risk, but the parents' beliefs are so strong. Uh, and naturally, they, they, they do want the best for their child, but they believe the best for their child is by 
restricting um, a blood transfusion. Um, and, and in all these cases that have gone to the courts recently, the, the courts have upheld um, actually that it, the child's right to appropriate medical care is more important. It's actually, it's just so fundamental that um, the parents can't impose their beliefs, and it's very different when a person has capacity. So, and you know, for example, a 25-year-old person who's you know life-threatening injury who perhaps needs a blood transfusion, and says, "I will, I will not have a blood transfusion under any circumstances." You know, it, it would be absolutely wrong for a doctor to provide that. I think it's safe to say that one of the most contentious areas of the Secular Medical Forum's work is your efforts to challenge non-therapeutic male infant circumcision, a practice which is often justified in terms of religious freedom. That, that, that's right. It's intriguing that it is one of the most uh, controversial, because there's, there's no doubt that it is, um, even amongst uh, some people who are naturally secular. To me, the ritual male um, cutting of the genitals or ritual cutting of any child's genitals gets to the very heart of secularism because the, the, the essence of protecting children from imposed religious belief, what, what could be more fundamental than, than allowing an individual person the right to determine the branding, the markings of their own body? The, the, the claims that it's a religious right uh, um, R-I-G-H-T rather than R-I-T-E. So these claims that it's a religious right apply to the parents, the community, and in a similar way to the Jehovah's Witness story or to any belief, um, these beliefs are not formed in infants. Um, so to actually cut any person's body, to make an irreversible change to a person's body, solely on the presumed beliefs of this person when they're older, is it, completely opposite to religious freedom because as you get older you will form your own beliefs and there are many people who either believe something differently or even choose to believe you know both the Jewish and Muslim communities do it uh, you know practice this on their children so some of them will believe in in Judaism or Islam but will also choose not to be cut or not to not to have uh, their own children's genitals cut so these claims of religious freedom miss the point of religious freedom. Religious freedom is for the individual. It's not for the community. Uh, and as soon as you start getting onto the territory of community religious freedom, you actually end up in, in a situation where people lose, lose their religious freedom entirely because the community claims ownership of everybody within that community. And that's precisely what happens with ritual circumcision. Children are cut because of the presumed beliefs of the community. I think this is a recurring theme in all of the interviews, this misuse of religious free of religious freedom as being about a freedom to impose practices on other people. Are there any other areas of healthcare where this is a particular problem? Well, there are many areas where um on a personal level and a community level, um, individual freedoms are restricted by community claims for freedom. I mean, for example, one of the, one of the something that's in the news quite a lot at the moment is is the situation in Northern Ireland, where women's rights to uh, sexual health and abortion are 
completely restricted compared to the rest to, to mainland um, uh, UK. So, so in essence, there were less than ten women were allowed within the confines of Northern Ireland last year to have an abortion, which is widely recognised as, a, as a, a fundamental part of medical care. And this is this is based largely on the the control on the community by the established, um, you know religious order and, and yeah saying that that's that that's not to blame individual people this is the these are the representatives of the religions and the abuse of power from those at the top many individual people whether they believe or don't believe have all sorts of widely varying beliefs but it's the abuse of power of people who assume that everybody has a conformity of belief um, and they use that to restrict other people's rights to to access um, appropriate health care mm. I mean, uh, obviously, any advocate of religious freedom would have to say that people should be able to advocate and preach against, you know, and disagree with uh, abortion. But to use that, uh, to use a claim of religious freedom to deny someone a particular form of health care seems to really to misunderstand the purpose of religious freedom. Yes, and of course everybody should be allowed to, to, to have an open dialogue and a debate, um, but they shouldn't have the power to trump other people's views, because this is what's happening over and over again. People say, well, my beliefs are so strong that I must make sure that these are enforced, whereas on the other side, you know, people who, people, for example, another area of, uh, you know, say abortion, nobody who who is, you know, Nobody goes to seek an abortion because they think, oh, that's what I'll go and do today. It's a nice sunny day. You know, they've given it an enormous amount of thought. But equally, none of them will go up to somebody else who's not having one and say, how dare you not have an abortion? It, 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 it's, a, you know, the, the, there is respect and it's often going, unfortunately, just in the one direction. You know, people who advocate for um, individual freedoms mean it on both sides. So, you know, from my perspective, the secular medical forum perspective, it's about allowing people to make those reasonable choices, not forcing anybody into into choosing, you know, one way or the other, whether to have one, whether not to. It's a big decision. And, uh, you know, women who've got to that point to make that decision have usually given it an enormous amount of thought before they've got there, and they should be allowed to access that that reasonable care. What do you think can be done to help healthcare professionals recognise and maintain appropriate professional boundaries so that they are respecting others' religious freedom but not imposing their own religious views? Well, in truth, many of the much of the guidance around this area already exists. Um, and I suppose the main thing is to ensure that the, the regulators themselves don't make exceptions in this area. For example... Um, General Medical Council, which regulates uh, doctors in the UK, provides guidance already and actually gives explicit guidance on personal um, uh, personal belief and, and, and tells doctors very clearly that we must respect those boundaries. We mustn't impose our beliefs on our patients and we must you know, do everything we can to ensure that patients um, have care that's in accordance with their own personal beliefs. The real problem comes when people just ignore that for special special pleading cases of religion. And again, I come back to the circumcision where the, the GMC guidance is very clearly circumvents its own guidance in this area um, by, by jumping through hoops to ensure that um, doctors can, can ignore the fact that children can't make up their own mind and, and children have to, you know, children are intrinsically vulnerable. Um, 
but but on the whole, the guidance is there already, and doctors. It's very clear that doctors should not be imposing our own personal beliefs on our patients. And to be fair, most of us don't. It's only a very small proportion of very religious doctors from certain sections that do try to do this. I mean, I, I've uh, never been a healthcare professional, but I've, for instance, worked on a helpline with young people, and uh, where we had very clear guidance on not inserting our own, per, uh, you know people may have been motivated by their personal beliefs to give up their time and volunteer at the service but we have very clear guide we have very clear guidance around not bringing our personal views in and i don't think anyone ever felt that that was violating their freedom of speech or their uh, religious freedom no it's about it's about being responsible if you're walking down the street and you get engaged in conversation then you have freedom of speech to say what you want. But if you choose a role where you're providing, um, well, certainly for medical professionals or other healthcare professionals, you've, you've actively chosen that role and you have a responsibility to go with that role. Uh, it's very similar to a teacher not turning up in school and banging on about their own political beliefs and, and teaching children that's the only one. That would be an abuse of power in a very similar way. And I think you know, most, most people recognise that, but a few people feel, unfortunately feel so strongly about their own beliefs that they think that the greater good means that they must impose their belief because they're saving people or they're, or they're preventing people from doing something so much worse and they actively avoid uh, following the guidance. And there have been a few cases of that uh, recently. I think uh, another complicated or potentially complicated area of the intersection of religious freedom and healthcare is around conscientious objection. And I mean, obviously, we, I think we can all say we wouldn't want someone to be forced to do or to provide a service which goes against their conscience. But if you've opted into being a healthcare professional, what are the limits or what should the limits be on your conscientious, conscientious objection, your ability to say, I don't want to do this particular thing or this particular part of my job or serve this particular type of person? I think... I mean, we'd all recognise that people go into healthcare for a variety of reasons and, and everybody has, has their own personal conscience. And where, where possible, obviously, we want, it, it's kind, and, you know, kind on each other and on patients to make sure that healthcare professionals aren't pushed into a position where they feel they're doing something completely against their own beliefs. And for this reason, I would, I would completely agree that medical students uh, in their training shouldn't be forced to participate in an abortion procedure, for example, uh, but should be given the choice to opt out. On the other hand, once that person is qualified, they have a responsibility not to choose an area that's going to bring them in direct conflict with the delivery of, of necessary healthcare for other people. Um, I mean, this has happened in, 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 you know, it happens where people deliberately choose a role so that they can obstruct the delivery of healthcare. And unfortunately, we keep coming back to sexual health because um, many of the, these issues are, they're not driven by secularism, they're driven by religious concerns. And religious concerns seem to be centred around personal sexual freedoms, such as sexual health, um, homosexuality, cutting of children's genitals, a lot of them revolve around around their, their obsession with with other people's sexuality. So, in law, there are two. There, there are a couple of areas where where people where doctors are allowed to conscientiously object. One of them is in um, the delivery of abortion. The other one is in the uh, Human Fertilization Embryology Authority regulations. And, and most of us think these are quite reasonable, but should not be extended. 
unfortunately, there have been moves to, you know, certainly from from some religious people, and there's certainly a, um, a bill going through the Lords at the moment through, from Baroness alone called the Conscientious Objections Brackets Medical Activities Close Brackets Bill um, that, that would really open the floodgates to allow healthcare professionals to say, oh, I'm not going to do this because it's against my belief. And that would be disastrous for the delivery of healthcare because um, it's not about where an individual person um, is delivering the uh, individual healthcare professionals delivering the care, but it's about whether the uh, the institution itself can deliver the care and where the care can be delivered by other people reasonably without putting undue pressure on the service. That's fine, but where but where patients risk not receiving the care that they need, that that becomes a, a big problem, and that becomes the responsibility of the healthcare professionals. And if I may just say, because. About two years ago, the General Pharmaceutical Council um, updated its own guidance on this, and they they took a very brave stand. They initially thought that um, you know the beliefs of the health, of the pharmacist who didn't want to prescribe emergency contraception, for example, and the, and the uh, the patient should be balanced. And following some challenge. Um, they actually completely backtracked and they, they finally recognised and they, and they updated their guidance to say, you know, the balance must be shifted in favour of the patient and the, um, you know, the, if a prescription has been written, it must be delivered to the patient irrespective of the individual beliefs of that pharmacist who, who really has a responsibility to choose to work somewhere that's not going to cause a problem to patients. I mean, if someone were an ethical vegan we would should respect that life stance but then they probably wouldn't be able to get a job in that in an abattoir precisely are there any other areas where a mistaken understanding of religious freedom is leading to religion being imposed in healthcare in an inappropriate way well, well going back in the past i mean certainly um the uh, biblical condemnation of homosexuality led to homosexuality being regarded as an actual psychiatric illness, uh, and you know, not not too far in the distant past, and certainly in the living memory of of many people now, people were offered the uh, the, the awful choice between electroconvulsive therapy, that shockwave treatment to the brain, or jail for their um, their supposed um, illness. Uh, equally, in modern times, gay conversion therapy is still being offered as a as a therapy. It doesn't deserve the word therapy. There is mm, heavy quote marks. Yes, there, there is absolutely there is no evidence whatsoever that people's sexuality um, can be changed. Uh, and in fact, this leads to um, yeah, it, it leads to, to awful situations where people brought up in in these communities aren't able to to be open with their their friends and relatives. And and then it causes serious uh, mental health difficulties with them, and of course, you know, you can interpret that two ways. But um, quite often, that those who are against homosexuality say, "Look, these people are mentally ill." Um, well, yes, if you if you're in a community which doesn't accept you and which which actually actively rejects you, um, it will affect your mental health certainly adversely. And the gay conversion therapy is, I mean, as I say, the whole it covers a wide spectrum. But, but some of it is really quite sinister. If you believe strongly enough that people are, are um, absolutely wrong and, mu and have, must have their uh, sexuality changed, people will go to extraordinary lengths to change it. And we've, we've heard stories that people have, you know, been forced into you know, starvation regimes, even forced rapes. I mean, it, it, it really is quite awful what happens to some people from some of these communities. And, of course, these are some of the most vulnerable because they're teenagers discovering their sexuality 
Um, and, and it's the, the people they trust and love the most who are doing this to them. And they're doing it out of a mistaken sense of, of, of religious freedom. Other areas which um, sometimes don't get touched on and which, which are slightly more on the edges of secularism, um, things like assisted dying. Now, I think because people can have uh, views for and against assisted dying on both sides of the religious spectrum, pe some people often assume this, this doesn't have much bearing on secularism, whereas in fact, much of the push against allowing people the, the right to make their own decision at the end of life, that, that their life is intolerable and there's no reasonable prospect of improvement, most of those people pushing against that decision are religious. Um, 20 years or so ago, they used to declare their religion and say life is sacred. Nowadays, they recognize that society is changing and using those words will, will not get them very far. So we hear the same people using so-called secular arguments that uh, people are vulnerable and that um, we don't want to be killing people. And, and of course, you know, people are entitled to those views if they wish. But the medical profession within the UK has been severely influenced by, by people with these strong views, many of whom are quite uh, covert about their affiliations with the uh, religious uh, organizations that they they adhere to um so so i think that's a, that's a real issue and i think it's it's one of the areas that's it's quite difficult to challenge on a on a religious basis because the people are not o openly talking about their religion hmm. and uh, and i must see someone's personal religious worldview you know could include the idea that they should be able to control their own life and how it might how it might end as well so their religious views which actually do affect them themselves uh, could potentially be restricted well that goes with every single one of these religious freedoms the, the bottom line is if somebody else is imposing their religion on someone else they are necessarily restricting that other person's opportunity of choice to choose their own beliefs uh, and that's always the case and that's why it has to be an individual personal freedom I know we've already discussed non-therapeutic male circumcision, but before you go, can I just ask for your thoughts on the newly published guidance for doctors from the British Medical Association? Um, yeah, you can have my thoughts, but it's a disaster zone, to be perfectly honest. Um, the British Medical Association um, is, a, is the trade union for doctors and the professional body for doctors and, and provides guidance. The, the updated toolkit for doctors explicitly says that it's, it didn't have access to all the evidence and it's not an ethical document. Unfortunately, this didn't stop it from making ethical statements and making scientific assertions. Many of the, the points made within this document contradict themselves. So it's actually an incoherent document. Um, for example, the BMA's new guidance helpfully notes that in the recent cases of a dispute over whether non-therapeutic circumcision was in the best interest of a child lacking competence, the courts have ruled that it was not in the child's best interest and that children's best interest should best be served by waiting for them to make up their own mind. So by, they note that, but despite this, the BMA's updated toolkit recommends that doctors who are asked to remove a child's healthy foreskin make a best interest consideration that's almost exclusively reliant on parental beliefs. And this completely subverts um, normal medical principles. I mean, the new guidance is a completely lost opportunity to remind doctors that the cutting of any child's healthy body for no medical reason is, is simply not in a child's best interest. Um, and it makes 
extraordinary assertions such as, you know, circumcision does not need to be performed by a doctor. So, so the BMA is actually saying there's no need, as there would be for any other invasive surgery, for a sterile, hygienic environment and a competent trained surgeon who's gained appropriate consent. It, it's difficult to overstate just how different this is from any other piece of medical guidance that's given. And it's difficult to escape the fact that the BMA has actively um, walked a tightrope and, and, and straddled the tightrope, really trying to please um, you know, trying not to offend uh, really religious bodies and trying not to not to understand that that actually cutting a healthy, functional, sensitive, erogenous, private part of somebody else's body goes against every single grain of what being a doctor involves. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, before you go, uh, we always like to ask our guests if they've got any recommendations. So are there any books or films which you think do a good job of exploring religious freedom that you'd like to recommend? Sure. Um, well, firstly, I think the book God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens is, is a stunningly good book, which highlights the contradictions and harms um, of, of, of many religions while stating one thing and, and doing another thing. Um, I'm going to go a little bit sideways here because one of the, one of the things about religious freedom is that, is that people often talk about how it's a special case, and I don't think it is. Um, and some of the, my other choices really shine a light on the collective madness that often takes over whole communities when people try to speak out with an individual voice. So Catch-22 is one of my all-time favourites, and just the complete madness of, of, you know, they're trying to kill me. Yes, they are. It's a war. Um, 1984, you know, um, removing the language of change, um, that works towards preventing people from escaping from the status quo. And that, that's so common in, in very strong religious communities. And from the point of view of the film, one of the films that, that, that really struck me many years ago, I was actually on a kibbutz um, as, a, as a student, and um, I was shown the film The Wave, which, which uh, was all about the classroom experiment um, in America, how and how the community was... It stopped people speaking out and it became more and more violent and vicious against people who just wanted to share their own personal views and who wanted to challenge the perceived collective orthodoxy of the day, which you know in the film was the way. It's a true story, isn't it? It is a true story. Um, and it was actually, it was a story that was to highlight the dangers of the Holocaust and to highlight the dangers of people not being allowed to have their own personal views, because that's when these harms happen to other people when the individual voice is lost to the collective okay well we'll share links to all of those in the show notes uh thank you so much for your time again thanks alistair it's always a pleasure to speak with dr lempert and he's actually speaking at a healthcare conference in belfast on the 20th of march and i'm over at the same time to learn more about efforts to integrate northern ireland's deeply sectarian education system so we'll be organising an NSS social on the evening of the 20th. Uh, please message me if you're interested. If you're getting this podcast on YouTube or you feel like visiting, you may want to check out our playlist from the 2018 Healthcare and Secularism Conference, which covers many of the issues we've discussed today in more depth. Speaking of conferences, there's just over two months ago to Secularism 2019, our major conference on the 18th of May at the Tower Hotel. Our lineup of speakers include Rachel Lasser, CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, who I spoke to in episode two of the podcast, medical ethicist Dr. Brian Earp, 
who I'll be speaking to in a future episode, and Dr. Ahmed Shahid, Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief for the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. You can find out more about the conference and book your tickets at secularism.org.uk forward slash 2019. The conference includes a drinks reception and the award of our 2019 prize for Secularist of the Year, so it really is fantastic value at just £50, and even better value for our members. Links to the books Dr Lempert mentioned will be in the show notes, and if you want to learn more about how the NSS and SMF work together to protect freedom of and from religion in healthcare, please visit secularism.org.uk forward slash healthcare. Until next time, goodbye.